tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode touches on some uh, pretty stigmatized, uh, disturbing things, but it's a fascinating story, and it reminds me of our earlier episodes on currency. You remember those, Noel? Yeah, what was the word for a uh, currency enthusiast uh, or a collector of coins? Uh, I think it's new... Hang on. Phil, philologist? Oh, that's the uh, philatist is the stamp collector. Oh, never mind. Yeah, well, stamps are kind of a form of currency in their own way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, remind me of the of the currency episode, Ben. Uh, I am Noel, by the way, that you're talking about. We did the rise and fall of local script, remember, during the Great Depression era. <sighs> that's right. And there was even like, you know, things. Yeah, that's right. There was there was notes that were specific to regions. And it was just kind of like almost like a continuation of using things like shells or precious stones, right? Mm-hmm. And the word for a uh, coin collector, if not a full currency collector, would be a numismatist, I believe. Ah, numismatics. Love that. Love that. Never been one of those or a philologist myself, but I do think uh, those kinds of artifacts are absolutely fascinating. But uh, you're right, Ben. We are talking about a type of currency that was in and of itself stigmatized, but a type of currency that was tied to an even more stigmatized group, uh, those afflicted with leprosy, what is now known as Hansen's disease. Um, You can leave your mbop jokes at the door. Mm -hmm. That's me talking to myself. But yeah, we know this from popular culture. It's often depicted in film or actually in Princess Mononoke, the uh, Studio Ghibli 
Hayao Miyazaki film, There is a Leper Colony. And it is a condition that affects people in their eyes, in their respiratory systems, their nervous system. It essentially is a degenerative condition where people's bodies essentially break down and almost decay, you know, as uh, as they're alive. Yeah, this is a a slow-growing bacterial infection we know now. But back in the day, people did not have the uh, medical understanding we enjoy here in 2021. As we begin, I want to shout out, of course, our super producer, Casey Pegram. Our guest producer, Andrew Howard. And, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic, when people were quarantined or had to stay at home, may have felt the emotional weight of isolation, of enforced uh, solitude, right? Being forced to stay in a place uh, for one reason or another. People who lived in what were called leper colonies who were afflicted with Hansen's disease were so stigmatized that they had to form their own kind of community, like entire communities of people under quarantine. And interestingly enough, there is strong evidence that not all of these people who were called lepers and sent to these colonies actually had leprosy. Uh, They may have been affected by a broad spectrum of different skin conditions, and people saw it and were just so terrified of Hansen's disease that they said, that's close enough to leprosy for me. Off to the colony you go. Totally. And I mean, like you said, I mean, they really did have kind of a very warped understanding of exactly how contagious uh, this disease was. And that's part of it where people, you know, it's even an expression people say, you're treating me like a leper, you know, like Mm -hmm. you don't want to be touched or, you know, people are keeping you at arm's length or whatever. And so that extended to the types of things that would get passed around, right? Like currency. Uh, So it became necessary to create a specialized currency uh, that only people with leprosy would be handling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we We have to understand, too, that until the mid 20th century, there was no known proven cure for leprosy. And people did believe it spread uh, much more efficiently than it actually does. Today, Hansen's disease has not been totally wiped out, but it is relatively rare. There are an estimated, according to money.org, and you'll see why we're using money.org in a bit, folks, some 180,000 cases are estimated to exist across the world today. A hundred of those are in the U.S. And so there are still all these misconceptions about this condition that are in the modern day. Like I will confess when I was a kid, I was one of those people who thought that leprosy would cause your fingers and your nose and your toes to fall off uh, because I had heard about leprosy. I'd read about it, but I had never actually encountered it. Uh, And that's part of this stigma because, oh man, this stigma is so old. It dates back to like biblical times. Totally. Yeah, I mean, right. Didn't Jesus cure a leper at some point? That was a thing. And you have built. Yeah, it's one of those moments that demonstrated Jesus's mystical abilities or whatever to to heal the sick and all that. But the thing that's, that's interesting about leprosy is it was sort of like a bunch of different conditions that were glommed in together as this one thing. But in fact, it was like multiple different conditions that were all of varying degrees of severity, um, but kind of all 
put under this umbrella catch-all of leprosy. So, you know, some folks might have a form of it it wasn't nearly as contagious or deadly, but they would be treated just the same. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control said that though uh, leprosy can spread through droplets in the same way that uh, those droplets that come out of your mouth when you sneeze or cough, uh, the same method of transmitting COVID-19, it's not nearly as successful as something like the flu in mm -hmm. being contagious. Mm -hmm. You have to be in prolonged close contact with someone who is not taking treatment for this condition over like many months, according to the CDC, to have a chance of catching the disease. But back in the day, way back in the day, biblical times, people would even believe that this was a curse from God, maybe because you had uh, done something wrong or evil or that your parents had done something wrong or evil and the sins of the parent were being visited upon the child. As we got closer to a more secular understanding of disease transmission and medical science advanced, people started understanding that somehow leprosy from one person could affect another person. And this led to a kind of uh, guilt by association. So if, for instance, you are in... Um, in an ancient town square and a leper touches a cup, you would feel like touching that cup would be a 100% guaranteed chance of you getting leprosy. You know what I mean? So anything totally. they touched or wore or ate was out of, like, out of bounds officially. And let's just think about, you know, sorry to keep bringing it back to a topic we're all probably way overhearing about at this point, but bring it back to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic when people didn't really fully understand how it spread. There were people that were taking their groceries and, and keeping them in their garage for days so that the quote unquote, the surface transmission would be reduced with the potential. Turns out that wasn't really the thing, but uh, I understand this level of paranoia that comes with the not knowing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, you can't, entirely damn these folks that were, you know, taking these precautions. But it also, like you said, Ben, I mean, it's just this guilt by association and it really just kind of demonizes an entire population. Uh, and so these leper colonies are established. There, uh, This is a great word, uh, leprosoriums is what they were referred to. Uh, and that started as far back as the Middle Ages, especially in Europe and India, where the disease was much more common. They would be, and this is, again, something we know from, from pop culture and film, uh, they were maintained and overseen by monks. And they were often, you know, on islands that were isolated and far away from the regular populations or high up in the mountains. What it, wherever it was, remoteness was the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And so this was essentially a quarantine, isolated community aside from the caretakers who were taking risk and, and, and putting their lives uh, at risk in order to, you know, take care of these, uh, these people, these, these individuals who were ostracized in that way. And so with a colony or a separatist kind of civilization, essentially, you need its own currency. So that was sort of one part of leprosy money, right? It was just to give them a way mm -hmm. to trade and to have money to spend to buy the things they needed within that community. But it also was a way to keep that money out of the circulation of like the larger world because this notion that oh if you touch money that a leper has touched is it offensive to say leper i know they don't call it leprosy as much anymore but they would have they would have said leper at this time they would have said leper at this okay i'm just making sure to be sensitive because it does still exist it hasn't been fully eradicated mm -hmm. it exists uh, largely only i think in 
in tropical areas and in Africa and some parts of India, I believe. Yeah, so one important thing I want to step back and clear the air on here is there's another misconception that leprosy was a quick death situation, right? Like you would get it and then you would have a ticking time bomb until your demise. But the problem is, at least from a social management position, that people suffering from leprosy could live a long time, which means they need a community. You know, they need someone to cook. They need someone to, like, make clothes, repair shelters, all that jazz, which is why they need the money, the the leprosy money that exists as an alternate currency that can be used for the economy of the leper colony. But there was another insidious purpose here. It made escaping the colony much more difficult. Imagine you are the most well-to-do person in one of these colonies, right? Let's say that you are growing food on the colony, right? And you have done quite well, and now you are super well off in comparison to the other members of the colony. And you say, hey, I bet I could escape. Not so fast, because even if you have $10,000 worth of this uh, leprosy money, nobody outside the colony is going to take it, and possibly nobody in other leper colonies would take it because it wasn't quite standardized. And Mm -hmm. so this was the only form of money that people could access. So while it did provide a path toward economic prosperity, it also functioned in a very real way, kind of like a wall to keep you from leaving. Well, and that's the same problems we saw uh, in that previous episode we did about kind of regionalized currencies. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have any standards, so there was no, like, you know, uh, documented exchange rate, and you get far enough away from your home turf, that money's useless. You know, no one's going to take it. Uh, So it really does, like, you know, further isolate you within that community. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So in a lot of these kind of quarantine zones, these were coins, by the way, mm -hmm. and not paper money. But these, you could think of them as, as medical exiles. Uh, that's how it's referred to on an article from Atlas Obscura. Uh, and I like that. But the thing is, is it's like, it's 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 indefinite, right? Like you, you, there's really no they didn't have a cure, so you're essentially being cast off from society and forced to live a potentially life sentence, you know, on this isolated community. Uh, and I'm sure people got along and made new connections and friendships, but you would have had to leave your family behind, likely Ben, unless they were also afflicted, and then maybe they'd come with you. But I, mm -hmm. what a what a heartbreaking situation this must have been for for so many. Yeah, yeah, and. The big question is, how did this money come into the hands of people at the colonies? There was a process, according to uh, the curator of the National Hansen's Disease Museum, if you are someone who society has decided has leprosy, you go to the colony, you have to hand over any outside currency that you have, and in exchange, you get these special purpose coins, sometimes bills, but mm -hmm. largely coins. And you had very little say in the matter. This is kind of firebreak and an airlock to keep this so-called tainted money on the on the colony grounds. So we know that families had been separated. That definitely happened. If you had this condition, you were stuck in one of these colonies, you could send money to your family and your relatives on the outside. But the only way you could do it is to go to the colony's administration, maybe that monastic order mentioned earlier, and exchange your leper colony money for the local currency. And it would be up to those administrators as to, you know, what an exchange rate looks like, as to whether or not they let you do it at all. Because if you think about it, the people on the colony have no way to address corruption or bad actors. Let's see you're the money man at the monastery and you're corrupt, then when people hand you this outside currency, you could just pocket it. Totally. Yeah. And I'm certain that happened. Oh, gosh, even even more of a, yeah. Because, you know, if, if you were to escape and, and you had this uh, proprietary money, you know, you'd get to a point where it would absolutely be worthless and, and wouldn't help you out at all. And you've had all of your earthly possessions taken from you and your legal tender taken from you. 
So uh, that curator you mentioned, Ben, who, who has a fabulous name, Elizabeth Schecksneider uh, of the National Hansen's Disease Museum, uh, talked about an interesting process that went on with outside money. All outside money or outgoing money that left the, uh, the, the leper colony was sanitized by, quote, chemical fumigation. Um, and, and like we said, patients were uh, not allowed to deal directly with traders that would come, you know, and, and, and do deals with the monks. Uh, the, the monks would buy the materials with real money, and then essentially residents of the colony would have to use their kind of monopoly money to buy the stuff from the monks. Mm-hmm. And, and not every quarantine settlement or leprosarium, which I agree is, is a fascinating word, had its own currency. But if you look across the world, as Atlas Obscura describes it, colonies from places as far flung as Brazil or Japan all issued some form of alternative currency. And this was entirely a means of further isolating patients from society and also reassuring the surrounding communities. Because you think NIMBY is bad now, the not-in-my-backyard phenomenon? It's sure. that times 10. Uh, some of these were minted by the colonies themselves, and others were made by the outside government, specifically for those colonies. Yeah, or, or even issued like, oh yeah, sometimes by the like a Ministry of Health type mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. And we know that sometimes foreign countries manufactured leprosy money for colonies in different countries, like the Palo Seco quarantine in the Panama Canal Zone, was the, the money for that was made at the Philly Mint here in the U.S. They were also, again, not standardized. So if you had your Panama Canal Zone leper money and then you traveled to Brazil, then there is absolutely no guarantee that they would take it. It would be another foreign outside currency. Yeah, and I mean, these. there was some thought that went into these. I mean, they were often beautifully illustrated, very elaborately designed from the coins to the, to the occasional bills. The oldest leprosy coins that we know of were um, minted in Venezuela in 1887. And I believe to date, we only have one surviving example. And, you know, speaking of the paper money uh, or script notes, they were issued uh, from time to time, uh, specifically in 1935 and 36, in the Sungai Bulo settlement in what would today be called Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And the island of Kulian in the Philippines, they also issued paper money. This colony was founded in 1902. Uh, originally, these special coins were issued by the government of the Philippines in 1913, when they said, okay, we we want to pick up this practice of alternative currency. But in 1942, invading Japanese forces cut the island off from Manila. Uh, They lost contact, and Manila is where the coins were minted. So now the colony has to deal with a lack of currency in addition to invading forces. So at that point, you know, this colony is a community. It's like a small town, right? Or it's an Mm -hmm. entire island in this case. So people have to buy stuff. You have to pay people who do jobs. And so the president of the Philippines at the time, the president in exile, Manuel Quezon, 
has an emergency issue of these bills, of this paper money, and they come out in seven different denominations. It's backed by the U.S. Army. So like they co-sign it for credibility and legitimacy. But the Japanese forces stayed and the situation got worse and worse. And many people on the island, unfortunately, passed away from starvation or lack of medical care. And long story short, in 1945, the U.S. Army Air Corps was able to help a little bit by airdropping food and medicine. But we know that that injection, that emergency cash, in a very real way, kept everything running for a time. Like money is an idea, right? It's a representation of something. And so when you have that physical currency, it, in a very real way, makes modern communities possible. So here, here's the thing. I mean, you know, leprosy was contagious, is contagious. But like we mentioned at the top of the show, much less contagious even than the flu by those droplets. Uh, ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is it largely a myth that leprosy is uh, contagious by touch? Or is there some truth to that? Well, it, it's a little more difficult than that, thankfully. So the current belief is that this condition spreads when someone who has leprosy or Hansen's disease coughs or sneezes and a healthy person is nearby and repeatedly breathes in those infected droplets. So it's just like the, the stuff with COVID and surface contact, right? Uh, people are being extra, extra careful. But, you know, instead of just bags of groceries, these are living people and their lives right, and everything right. they touch. This is strange because there's a larger idea. Like most of this currency comes out in the 1900s, as we said, mm -hmm. because it coincided with this general terror across mm -hmm. the world that germs could be transmitted simply by touching things. And we see, you know, we still see remnants of that idea with misunderstandings of other medical conditions, like the idea of touching something that has been touched by someone who is affected with a certain STD or so on. Oh, totally. And those stigmas persist. Things like herpes simplex two, which is super common, but not even as common as herpes simplex one, which is a cold sore, which, you know, so, so many people have and don't even realize that's what it is. But yet there's still a heavy stigma around both of those things, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. Douglas Mudd, the director and curator of the American Numismatic Association's Money Museum. Yeah, they're God. killing it with the names today. Uh, he, he, uh, he explains it this way. He says, through the 1920s, there was a bit of paranoia about currency and currency becoming a vector of disease. And he said it was associated with money. This was only further compounded by the deep millennia-old fear of a disease that people very much considered like a biblical curse. Like, you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. God has punished you. But, you know, I, I want to pause for a second, Noel, because one thing that's fascinating to me about this is people were worried about that kind of guilt by association or contact, but didn't really think about how dirty money actually is already. It's filthy. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. 
Yeah, it's something that, you know, your parents warn you about when you're a kid, you know, like don't don't like lick your hands after handling a dollar bill because it's one of the most it's like a doorknob. Anything that's like, you know, or like a like a guardrail on a escalator or something. Anything that people are constantly rubbing their grubby little paws all over is is going to be a potentially a vector for some amount of germs or or nastiness. But it turns out that the mycobacterium lepri, which is what causes leprosy, not a thing, doesn't live well on the surfaces of, of currency. And as we've been trying to hit home, which I think is important because I, I will tell you and completely be honest, I had a pretty outdated view of what leprosy was. I kind of internalized a lot of those pop culture references to it and, and depictions in film and stuff. And I really did think that it was, you know, you could literally get it just by touching somebody. Um, so this is a good myth-busting exercise for me as well. But yeah, not nearly as contagious as the world would have thought at the time. And again, I think still probably does. But uh, a particular colony by the name of Carville it had a, a century-long history. Uh, and in that time, not a single monk or staff member, whomever, got the disease from a patient. Mm -hmm. So even earlier when I was saying how like the monks were putting their themselves in harm's way, that would have been the perception. But it turns out that that didn't really happen. That wasn't really the case. It was a lot of misplaced uh, paranoia. But still, props to the monks for powering through that and helping these folks. But also, is it really helping them? It, it was it was isolating them. It was separating them. Uh, I'm I'm. It's it's a little complicated, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And you're right. The leprosorium there in Carville, Louisiana, uh, functioned pretty successfully in terms of like limiting the spread of this condition or the spread of conditions they perceive to be leprosy. It. Also, like, they did things that a small town would do. There was an internationally distributed newspaper that was entirely made by the patients. And in 1970, this paper, which is called The Star, uh, reported that Dr. Gordon Alexander Reary had sent paper money from the Malaysian settlement into the Institute for Medical Research in Kuala Lumpur. And they said, let's check. Let's see if we can find the, this bacterium on these bills. And they checked it, you know, seven ways from Sunday, and they could not find a single live leprosy bacillus. So they couldn't even find one example of the living bacteria there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you publish the crazy stuff in the front page of the newspaper. You publish retractions in the back. People had already long ago made up their minds that touching this money would give you leprosy. And so, yet again, fear and rumor uh, won the day over research and science. And people still suffered this uh, exile that, you know, medically speaking, they, in many cases, did not deserve. You know what I mean? That's right. And, you know, what were we talking about at the top of the show? What was the word? Pneumat pneumat pneumasmists? Pneumis <laughs> pneum uh. Numismatics. Numismatics. Yes. This stuff is red meat for those folks, coin collectors, because they are rare and they are very, you know, like I said, beautifully minted and, and designed. But they absolutely serve as kind of a symbol of how not fully understanding science 
and the way these things work can really do a number on people in terms of like how they're treated almost as like subhumans, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, consider the irony now. Uh, for so long, this money was considered kind of funny money. It was script. It was worthless outside of the colony for which it was intended. But now it is such a hot ticket item. Now, if you talk to a numismatist, they are going to say, holy smokes, I would love to get a hold of some of that money. People will track it down to the best of their abilities. And part of the reason people covet this stuff so much in the modern day is because it was a, it was like a regular practice to destroy the money, right? Like mm -hmm. you would have colonies would say, okay, we're not going to distribute this money anymore because right. we can actually treat this condition. For sure. But just to be on the safe side, let's burn it. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's it's almost like they were having a hard time letting go of the old ways or, or their old kind of uh, misplaced fears, right? Because mm -hmm. they, you know, but again, they they were still just on the cusp of of the uh, advancements. And let's not forget, uh, this stuff was going on well into the fifties, mm -hmm. the nineteen fifties, not the eighteen fifties. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating. Uh, yeah, I never would have thought that it, that it had gone on for that long. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. 
Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. But yeah, some of these coins are, it's almost like a very particular niche of coin collecting too. But you're right, they're, they're very hard to find for that exact reason, which probably makes them all the more sought after. So one particular denomination from uh, Colombia's Lazaretto colony, the Centavo is what like this pennies, denomination yeah. was called. Yeah, exactly. Those are not as hard to come by. Probably made a bunch of them. But then you've got a particular type of mimeographed and hand-lettered and signed script paper currency from the Culion colony. Very difficult to find. And then there were even something referred to as plastic tokens that were issued in China. Um, and, and that is uh, you know, a long, hard road to get a hold of some of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of the paper script was burned. A lot of the coins were melted down to become something else or straight up just thrown into the ocean. Jeez. <laughs> like, uh, that's a that's a human habit, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just throw it. The ocean will take care of it. So there's a group of these kind of niche coin collectors, like you described, who are hot on the trail of these things. They're often seen more like a curiosity. It's something you would get for the love of the game, I guess, <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than something that would be a um, super valuable collector's item because a lot of people even today aren't aware of their existence. And Mud pointed out that there are two factors that contribute to their kind of low value, even though they're very rare. And the first is that he says, Part of what creates value in coinage is how well a coin is known. And then mm-hmm. secondly, people were cutting corners, printing some of these, minting some of these. The leprosy coins were made from like common base metals. Right. Ne- never actual, you know, silver or gold. Or how, yeah, like more more like utilitarian or like I'm going to callously refer to them as trash metals, like nickel or aluminum uh, and, and even plastic, like we said. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So there you have it, uh, leprosy currency, a very interesting artifact left over from a bygone era of medical misunderstanding, which we talk about so often on this show. I mean, really, the history of medicine is all about kind of figuring things out as you go. And a lot of horrible, horrible decisions uh, and treatments were, were made before people really knew what they were dealing with. And this is, this is exactly that case. But Ben, I wanted to close out asking you, did you ever hear growing up uh, that you could get leprosy from an armadillo? We don't see those a ton around here, but mm-hmm. occasionally you'll see one on the side of the road. But I, I'd, I'd always heard that and wasn't sure if it was a myth or if there was some truth to it. It is absolutely true that armadillos, some armadillos, hashtag not all armadillos, uh, can be naturally infected with the bacteria that causes Hansen's disease. I learned about this. uh, This is a nerdy answer to the question, but I I learned about this when I was writing a sci-fi story where someone eats an armadillo. And so (laughs) it was like, I have to learn about what it is like to eat an armadillo. And one of the first things that popped Ooh. up was a warning about leprosy. And I was, yeah. and I thought, I'm going to have to change this whole, the whole vibe of this story. 
And the word gamey comes to mind for mm-hmm. what a armadillo might taste like. But no, you're you're right, Ben. It is absolutely true. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control has a they have they actually if you go to the CDC website, they have some remarkably niche little sections mm-hmm. advising you on what to do in certain situations. Um, and one of them is a bit of practical advice on what to do if you accidentally get leprosy from an armadillo. Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to be thankful organizations like the CDC exist because otherwise, otherwise I imagine a lot of people would have no idea about this. And they take a little bit of like a a hard line. I don't know if this surprised you as well, Noel, but if you visit the CDC's uh, transmission page for leprosy or Hansen's disease, what you'll find is that one of the first things they say is avoid contact with armadillos just in general, whenever possible, which makes me feel sad because I always thought armadillos had it rough. I know. And it really just goes back to that same. I mean, it's okay to ostracize armadillos, just not people. (laughs) Armadillos have feelings, at least anthropomorphized ones in like cartoons do. So I assume that applies to the real thing. Now, armadillos are kind of creepy looking dudes. Um, But yeah, they say steer clear of armadillos. Leave them alone. Uh, And if you do happen to feel as though you came into contact with an armadillo, uh, seek medical help immediately. Talk to your healthcare provider. Uh, Your doctor will do some checks on your skin to see if you develop the disease. Uh, But it is unlikely that you have, and in the unlikely event that you have Hansen's disease, your doctor can help get you treatment. Yes, well said. And in defense of the noble, humble armadillo, we should also point out that all wild animals can potentially carry diseases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are wild. They're not domesticated. If you see an armadillo, remain calm. It is probably, it is probably way more scared of you. And, you know, try to overcome the urge to pet it. I would say it's it's that simple. Uh, at this point, Noel, I don't think either of us actually have any leprosy currency, but I feel like I'm going to keep my eye out for it now. Now that we know a little bit of what it looks like, it's it's just such a strange piece of tangible, physical history. It is, and we love that here on Ridiculous History. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what else we love here on Ridiculous History Super producer Casey Pegram. Oh, he's the man. Is he not? He really is. He's right up there with guest producer Andrew Howard. Thanks again, Andrew. Would love to maybe get, you think we could cajole him into getting on the air sometime? Uh, You know, it's certainly possible. And got to say, I love that Andrew uh, sound cue. Man. That is such, that is the perfect one. It really is. It's very, so Andrew. (laughs) If if you knew Andrew, you'd understand. Oh, man. Yeah, we can't wait to hear it again. Uh, Thanks also to Alex Williams, who composed our track. You know what I thought? I was thinking, man, maybe we should just start referring to him as our composer. Does that sound classy? It does sound classy. I love I love the idea (laughs) of being a show that has a composer. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then, of course, also, if a show has a composer, it also needs a villain. So big, big thanks, as always, to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster. And thanks, of course, to Christopher Hasiotis, to Eves Jeffcoat, and to our awesome research associate, the one and only Gabe Luzier. Noel, I learned a lot on this one, and uh, we're pretty lucky to be living in 2021, I guess. Yeah, well, that's one way of looking at it, though. I like your I like your silver lining attitude. Uh, speaking of which, 
uh, I got my first vaccine shot today, Ben, and I'm uh, pretty pumped. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, dude. It does feel like things are inching their way towards normalcy. And honestly, for me, one of the hardest parts about this pandemic has been the paranoia and the not knowing. Uh, so I, I understand the kind of thinking around this this uh, leper colony stuff. But you live and you learn and time goes on and you learn more things about the things that you once feared. And then you hopefully you can uh, you can move past it. So I hope we can take a page out of the book of uh, the history of Hansen's disease and its associated currency. Well said. Well said. Stay safe, everyone. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.